And I've realized I've had this experience with with a few films where my impression of them was very much informed by the people I remember like really loving them, right? So like I had to like finally go back and like watch Borat or something because my only recollection of that film was the people who liked it who like really didn't get the point, you know? And so and so like I and and Dark Knight has a little bit of that for me as well. Because I remember um, my high school football coach who was like, you know, not in the room for the movie at all, um, like coming in almost as if on cue for Joker to do his trick with the pencil, um, laughing hysterically, talking about how much he loved it and then leaving the uh, the the wrestling room where we were we were watching <laughs> this and everything. And I just that, for some reason, that's like burned into my head because I was like a 14 year old. This, yeah, this is a deeply distressing act of violence to me. <laughs> Went through the man's eye, probably. Right. right. Well, you know, into if his brain. <laughs> if you're somebody who like literally, you know, encourages adolescents to run their heads into each other, you know, one season a year, I, I suspect that that type of thing really doesn't register that much for you. But no. about you what do you what do you what do you have in the ambient energy of of 2008-2009 that came out at a time period when i was like obsessed with dc and marvel shit basically because i think like the first iron man movie came out too around the same time which is also a whole other topic <laughs> in and of itself you know an arms dealer you know taking on you know that yeah. role basically who shoots role, and cries yeah yeah. Shoot, yeah exactly and um so i think it's weird looking at all of those films now compared to how i view them you know at, at this point in my life i mean it's just sure. it's it's a it's a complete 180 um now not that that's not to say that I still don't enjoy to watch these films. Like when Robert Pattinson's Batman movie comes out next year, I'm going to be in theater seeing that hundred percent. Um, you know, for the experience of, of watching at its most superficial level, a good film. Um, right. hundred percent. I'm going to, I'm going to be doing that, but, uh, like it's, I think I think for a lot of people on the left who are watching these films now and who grew up watching these films, you know, there's there's far more conscious realization of like what's like the the roots, the origins of these movies and stuff like that, and um, the the, the themes that we're going to kind of address in this film, you're 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 more conscious of. Like this is a really dark movie, right? Like not just aesthetically, but in terms, you know, but thematically, of course. Right. Yeah. And I think that what this movie manages to capture is the sort of vanquished, but still heroic ideology of these, the post 9-11, you know, post-war or yeah, post-war on terror 
landscape, right? Mm -hmm. That we had kind of made our peace with, you know, a being a complex good in the world, right? Um, I think that's even more evident in The Dark Knight Rises with Bane. Right. Who, yeah, I mean, we that could be something that we can address later on in another episode, but like, I mean, yeah, the Joker does his thing, but I mean, the timing of like the Dark Knight Rises and what was going on in the world at that point in time and is still going on, like, very, I don't know, it's very relevant, I would say. And right, no, and I I agree, but I think that with with the Joker, what I see is like the not or the less xenophobic description of the enemies of the American state in yeah. 2008, right? Yeah. That it's like, okay, so there, you know, the Joker isn't, is not in a, in a turban. He is not actually from Southern Italy wearing makeup. Like he's, he's just a stand in for, for chaos, right? For directionless, incomprehensible chaos. The Joker as a villain is meant to give sort of the the safest possible description of of the enemy, right? And yeah. the war on terror, right? Without reverting to tropes about Islam or mm-hmm. or what have you. It's just there are people in the world who want to hurt you and um and want to, you know, just want to watch the world burn. And yeah. and we and we need something that that can break the rules that can, that can get in the, in the gray spaces between the state mm-hmm. and chaos and, and mediate. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that this is the, this is the, the, the last defense of what we'd been doing for seven years by the time this, this movie came out. And I, I kind of see it as, as a nice sort of place to, to shift away from what we've been talking about for the last month or so, because we're mm-hmm. sort of now we're in, we're now we're looking at kind of the after, of, yeah. of of the state and how it was viewed, you know, through this piece of media. And I remember superheroes being less in vogue with people our age than they certainly are now among younger kids. Right. Yeah. Like mo- young kids now are un- are unambiguously more interested in you know, superhero media than they were when we were children. And I are think they? that is that is that yeah. I think so? I I think it's. I mean, I mean, part of it is I've been to like well, and I mean, I guess I, I didn't. I don't. I can't compare my experience in Chile against what it used to I be mean, like in another place, but. <sighs> But I genuinely think that that it's that I, like like the one thing I, I yeah the question for me is whether or not people were any less interested in superheroes when we were kids versus like twenty years ago or twenty years that's, like, that's a question like I'm very 80s. curious about now now that you've like said I think it, that so. people were more interested in superheroes in the in the like eighties and nineties than they were when like you and I were sort of in like the 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 heart of our okay youth. so the thing that I would want to ask is in you know i don't i don't know i don't know how we would figure this out but like we're and i'm not disagreeing with you because a part of me thinks that you're right um so that makes me wonder like were comic books bigger during that period 
than they were during like our particular generation growing up during that time period. So because to me, like it seems like comic books kind of were super popular. They, the popularity faded a little bit. Um, and then it's, it's picked up quite a bit now. I mean, you look at, look at, um, the, you know, the, the reinvention of Star Wars over the past 10 years and how mm-hmm. popular Star Wars comics are now and stuff like that. So I, I think I mean, just using that as an example, I think it's it's definitely picked right. up, I would say, over the past 10 years in particular compared right. to when we were growing up and stuff. And like what that. I'm kind of driving at here is that there has to kind of be something explicable in the culture, right, to to justify or at least contextualize that shift. And I think that that's something that we we should kind of play with a little bit, you know, here today is that it is that there's something I think, especially in these Batman movies, right, mm-hmm. which managed to like very practically kind of bridge the gap between the gritty realism of post 9-11 media and, and, and all this sort of stuff with yeah. that world of superheroes and everything in a way that enabled um, them to be like. Uh, absorbed into the streaming um you know character universe world of media today yeah right that 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 what you have here is you have a a cultural you know animaterial sort of coming together between you know streaming and and the sort of sequel character universe world of media and and this this sort of alchemy that's done by this film that we're going to be discussing today, the dark Knight, um, mm-hmm. that, that gets us to where we are today in this medium. And I may be wrong on this. I haven't seen a lot of analysis, particularly from the left on this particular film. And we're not here to further add to the universal adoration from high school boys. When they see the Joker do his infamous pencil trick in the beginning of the movie. Right. We are, Instead, wanting to attempt to discuss a deeper theme um, that the Joker, for example, may or may not represent in this film by Christopher Nolan. And while there is a superficial component that appeals to our baser needs for violent spectacle when it comes to watching Ledger's Joker, I think of the lot of I think a lot of the purpose behind um, his character goes unnoticed by the casual viewer of this film. Ledger's Joker calls himself an agent of chaos in the film, and it's blatantly obvious at times even for the casual viewer that we just mentioned, that this Joker is a symbol of anarchy. But like a lot of terms thrown around in the American political vernacular, anarchism is wildly misunderstood and at times equated with pure, ungovernable chaos. And that's not to say Ledger's Joker was or wasn't acting um, as a so-called agent of chaos. We tend to forget the historical nature of this character throughout the DC universe, which is that he's a murdering clown that commits atrocious acts of violence. (laughs) And we're not here to defend that violence with our analysis. Instead, we want to look at the underlying theme that pits this Joker against what could be viewed as a microstate, that being Gotham, and its unyielding and devoted defender, Batman. Christian Bale's Bruce Wayne, a billionaire who inherited an empire of wealth and power from his parents, dresses up as Batman to beat criminals to a pulp in the alleys of of Gotham at night. In the case of Batman Begins and the Dark Knight, these criminals are usually individuals that are associated with the Gotham mob. I noticed this. It's something I, I almost never would have noticed, and you know, until sort of watching it through this. Is that 
there is kind of this like uh, repartee between Alfred and Batman that's meant to like nod towards like the Anglo-American relationship, right? Where it's like here, you know, Alfred is here like like just sort of helping and managing this sort of and 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 Riley remarking on the pitfalls of trying to you know be at war with the agents of chaos and and he, what he's what he's being is this sort of avatar for the British Empire uh, failed and cynical you know giving advice to yeah. Christian Bale this embodiment of the you know American military state um, you know in, in its war on terror context. And and the, every conversation that they have, you know, just kind of has this, uh, you know, just this sprinkling of 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 the <laughs> of this of the Anglo American uh, imperial history. And, and Bruce Wayne decides to use, you know, all of his fancy gadgets and gear, and in the Dark Knight, mass domestic surveillance to fight crime, all while continuing to be a narcissistic hoarder of wealth. And, you know, look, we're not here to completely destroy the character of uh, Bruce Wayne uh, and Batman for you folks, though in real life we probably would be. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right. So this film at its most superficial level is an amazing crime and heist thriller that just so happens to feature Batman and his yeah. arch nemesis. Christopher Nolan, like there's no denying it, is an amazingly talented filmmaker and cinematographer. There's just no getting around that. Um, but we want to more closely examine, you know, sort of the sociopolitical themes as we've already been talking about that underline and revolve around the film's two central characters that are pitted against each other. And, you know, that's, that's sort of what we were just hinting at previously. Our argument in the case of this film is that they represent, you know, the state and authority versus the forces that wish to upend said authority. Our billionaire protagonist is still an individual that likes to beat the shit out of people who have most likely been driven to crime out of necessity from a lack of opportunity and socioeconomic assistance. And all of this occurs in a completely unbalanced society dominated by oligarchs like Bruce Wayne himself. I was trying to find a quote um, I had seen a while ago. I think it had said uh, it was said by Mr. Robert Fuller in a list of uncomfortable uh, plot summaries. His simple description of the Batman films is wealthy man assaults the mentally ill. (laughs) (laughs) But it it can't be overstated that these films, this character in particular within the realm of superheroes is just a rich guy who is obsessed with dishing out extrajudicial beatings of folks who have turned to crime out of uh, socioeconomic necessity. Let's put it this way. Let, 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 let's back up. Who is Batman in the Dark Knight meant to like represent? What are who are, who? What are the qualities of Batman that we're supposed to identify with as as Americans? I think as Americans, and this is uh, this was something I was thinking about. I was as I was kind of you know working on notes and stuff for this. Is that like we as Americans have you know, our own obsession with rugged individualism and all that. But I think as a result of that, we are even more obsessed with like vigilantes and the actions of vigilantes, you know, uh, because of that quality of rugged individualism. And I can't help but think 
you know, the, the whole vigilante obsession is, su- is it's just like a major driving factor behind our culture's obsession with guns and violence mm-hmm. and, and, and stuff like that. And I think that is why, well, I should say it's the sole reason. It's one of the reasons why this character resonates with Americans. And it just so happens that he's rich, the thing that every American wants to be. So you have, you have a, a rich guy with unlimited resources, basically. Um, who is just an extra, like, like we've said, an extra judicial extension of the state. Mm-hmm. And as we're going to establish here, the, you know, Gotham being a micro state, basically in this case. And, um, I think like these two things about Batman are like just the perfect, just, it, it's just it, the two perfect things that resonate so well with a lot of Americans, you know? So there's, and I think this is the perfect angle to take with it because there's this scene at the start uh, of this movie. It's where um, I'm pretty sure it's the first scene where Wayne is meeting Harvey Dent, right? And Dent is giving this defense of of Batman, right? And I think it's uh, and I don't actually think it's Dent that says it, but he gives this like this like sort of like defense of the Batman and and Rachel points out that Rome, you know, in a time of crisis would appoint a dictator, right? To, to take control until the crisis was averted. And I think that this gets at the precise paradox of what you're talking about here, which is this confusion between the vigilante who is outside of the state and the dictator who is the embodiment of the state, Right. And that when we conflate these two things, and I think we do in American culture and society, that we not only kind of miss the point of, of like Batman, but we also kind of miss that key problem with perceiving yourself the dictator as the vigilante, right? And and I think that that's, yeah, I think that that's the tension that, yeah. that you're identifying. There's, there. there's, I think there is a lot to be said about the cult of Donald Trump. And his base viewing him in that role, basically, you know. Right. That's an interesting view. I, I think you're right. And and yet, and it's completely impossible to, right? That yeah. you cannot, you cannot at once be outside of the state and mm-hmm. and overcoming it and be becoming it. Right. Yeah. I don't think that if we were to go round up, you know, a hundred, you know, Trump supporters and take them to DC and be like, you know, out, out on the Capitol steps and, and ask them point blank, do you think Donald Trump is a vigilante? You know, I don't know if a lot of them, maybe they would say yes. I don't know. I don't know if a lot of them would say yes. But if you were to, like, give the definition of a vigilante, you know, and, like, read it out and say, like, do you think Donald Trump embodies these characteristics? I think they would answer yes, you know, in that case. From that perspective, if that's who Harvey Dent is, then the Batman becomes, you know, the deep state, right? Or the runaway parts of the deep state that are yeah. ultimately, you know, indistinguishable from uh, Batman is you Q. Know, right, right, right. And and I think that, um, and so I think that that's there too. And I think it's conspicuous, right? Yeah, uh, that you kind of have, you know, with with this this thing with 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 Batman and Joker, right? You have you have kind of an archetype for 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 the conflict that the United States was in the process of losing, right? And with Dent, you kind of have 
a nod towards an actual kind of dictatorial authority, right? Mm -hmm. Or an actual sort of embodiment of state power as a means of transcending the chaos and the necessary vigilante behavior as a result of it. Yeah. It's funny. This is one of those films that I still appreciate solely for the purpose of entertainment and Ledger's acting, but Mm -hmm. I can't help uh, but find myself feeling a little gross with each rewatch as I get older. Right. It it certainly feels even more gross when you watch uh, Dark Knight Rises and kind of see where these themes are going to ultimately culminate, you know? Yep. Yep. And that might just be something we have to review, you know, in the near future for the sake of continuity. (laughs) I agree. But let's get back to the Dark Knight here. Bruce Wayne, the extrajudicial extension of the state, right, meets his ultimate foil in this film, which is Ledger's Joker. More than Bane. More right. than Bane. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, it's it, and and I suspect that we would have seen a reprisal of 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 this conflict had yeah. had Ledger been there to to reprise his role. Um, but I think the first question we have to ask here, you know, uh, to what extent can we understand, you know, Joker as a genuine depiction of 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 anarchism, right? So I, I think there are hints in the film that address that question to a degree. So one of the more famous moments in the film and sort of something I, I pose here to listeners is that, you know, did, did Nolan accidentally do leftist anarchism in this scene? And that's when uh, Joker is in Harvey Dent's hospital room. I think this is, you know, mm-hmm. a little over halfway through the movie. And then they're, you know, preparing to officially break him and turn him into Harvey Two-Face Dent. And the Joker says, Look what I did to this city with a few drums of gas and a couple of bullets. You know, you know what I've noticed? Nobody panics when things go according to plan, even if the plan is horrifying. So if I tell the press tomorrow that like a gangbanger will be shot or a truckload of soldiers will be blown up, nobody panics because it's all part of the plan. But when I say that one little old mayor will die, well, then everyone loses their minds. So I think that there's an element here of the Joker potentially arguing that people only truly care when like mm-hmm. the authority structures that rule over right. their lives are toppled right. and that pseudo comfort is torn away. So the mayor of Gotham, the head of a microstate getting killed and sending everybody into a frenzy versus a truckload of soldiers, uh, you know, which are expendable tools of the state. That's the dichotomy. Mm-hmm. After 9-11, guys like Carl Rove like went to Hollywood and had like meetings about the types of movies that would be beneficial to the new American project, right? Um, and I think it's important to recognize or to at least because we are kind of suggesting that this is sort of a right-wing film or at least in one that's making a, def- a tacit defense of imperialism. Yeah. But that that it's important to acknowledge the the moral universe and limitations that Nolan is operating in, right? And that for for its time, you know, this does almost rise to the level of a critique, right? Mm-hmm. But it has but it has the benefit of ultimately uh reinforcing that what people really want the most and and as ugly as it may be, all the masses really want is 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 to feel a stability and a security in the structures of power as they exist, right? Yeah. And so there to the to the extent that this is kind of a an indictment of the power structure it's also a uh, a defense of it you know that yeah. that to the extent that 
democracy might be seen as like an, a valuable or intervening force in any of these things. We, what, our portrayal here is that there's nothing but hopelessness for mm-hmm. for people to actually seize a role in in any of these processes, right? Because all people really want, you know, I mean, people will like, you know, like there's a lot of this sort of stuff um yeah and and some of it's undercut right i'm thinking of the scene on the boats with the prisoners and and, and the people right yeah. um but but they're also you know some lady like takes a shot at uh the the informant or the whistleblower on the on 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 wayne enterprises yeah, like as he's yeah. like walking out of the thompson center it's just like some like that because because you know at the end of the film like joker's like you know, hey, kill that guy, or I'm gonna blow up a hospital, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and 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 this guy's just getting mobbed by like the public, yeah. <laughs> like some like white lady from Aurora, like puts two in his chest in the Thompson Center or something, like. Right. But but like but there is this portrayal of what what the people are like and what the people want, and it's a uh, it's not at all hopeful, and I think it conspicuously to the extent that it rises to the level of critique, it also props up these things. And secondly, I think we should note, you know, that Christopher Nolan is probably a total fucking crypto fascist. So. Yeah. yeah, no, I, I think that a filmmaker whose movies are exceptionally popular among Ayn Rand fans is, is you know, uh, unambiguously that. Yeah. Though there is a Ra's al Ghul uh, quote from Bat, the Batman world where he says, create enough hunger and everyone becomes a criminal. So I don't remember right. if that was in Batman Begins or that, that is a comic quote. I'm not totally sure. But just- but it also does, once again, sort of lend this irrational stupidity to things that people want and grievances that people might have. Like it's a, yeah. they're just they're just rumbly bellies out there. And, right. that, and which, and I don't think it's untrue, but I think it's once again this 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 sort of trope of of a public that is absolutely powerless, you know, yeah. in the face of these processes. So let's look at the dichotomy given to us in the Dark Knight. We have the micro state of Gotham, Batman, Bruce Wayne as an extrajudicial extension, and the flip side of the duality we're presented with is Ledger's Joker. An unstoppable force of chaos hellbent on corrupting Batman and effectively using that tactic to topple the Gotham government. The question I kind of want to pose here is, can we consider the Gotham mob a part of the state in this film? It could be viewed as the same sort of relationship we see with uh, cartels and the Mexican government. In addition to another example like the Russian mafia and the Kremlin. The entanglement of these entities certainly could lead one to argue that these things are just extensions of each other. Organizations that wield immense power and wealth, which utilize a corrupted state to further their material goals. So is that what the Joker might be doing in this movie? You know, potentially revealing the hypocrisy of these things. Is he trying to highlight this relationship and effectively destroy it? Yeah, I think the Joker definitely has this antagonistic relationship with the mob to the same extent that they do with, um, uh, you know, the with the bat with Batman and with the the official government, et cetera. But I I think it goes almost a little deeper in this movie. I think that there there's this like almost comedy of like Dent and uh, and Gordon like mm. not trusting each other's people, 
right? Yeah. And right, you just right, you, you right. really kind of get this sense. And I, I really suspect they saved a lot of money on like stand-ins and all this sort of stuff, right? But you get this sense that everybody who's like off screen, um, like all of the all of the sort of faces and people that would make the mechanizations of this movie actually work in real life, that that they are also bumblingly corrupt or incompetent. Mm-hmm. Right. right. And so yeah. once again, we, we have this, you know, this, this fountainhead of characters here, you know, around which, uh, you know, they're the only ones whose will can actually change any of this situation. Right. And, yeah. and I think that that's, that's what the mob is. The mob is, you know, oh, here is, here's what your regularly self-interested person is. Right. You know, here's, here's a normal, um, person who understands the stakes. This is what, this is what they're like, you know, they're, they're, you know, rich criminals or something. And then, and then you have these, these, uh, you know, members of the zeitgeist who, who can actually, whose will actually matters, whose will to, to change into power really can affect things. And, and the mob is not a part of it. Right. I think that, and I think that that's, you know, kind of the, what what we're being shown here, um, Mm -hmm. you know, in addition to this other critique of these organizations. Yeah. It's it's interesting because like if we want to view the mob as an extension of the Gotham sort of microstate, like mm-hmm. the Joker literally takes over the mob in the movie and then destroys it. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, he like I mean, sets all the money on fire. He sets all the money on yeah. fire. Like he literally captures it. He captures a a, yeah. a what what could be considered a weapon of the, of the Gotham state and then destroys it. Yeah, in an instant. Another thing I want to pose to you here. And I was kind of mind blown with this proposition. I saw this, mm-hmm. this was a comment on Reddit and it makes the argument that all of the Dark Knight trilogy villains um, can be seen as allegories for how capitalists view socialists and the ideology mm-hmm. of socialism itself. And the Joker is how capitalists view anarchism. Right. Ra's al Ghul is okay so he like leads this like shadowy organization of like assassins basically. Okay. So that's who Bruce Wayne like you know, like his parents get killed, he grows up and he's like struggling with this basically. And he like wants to like, you know, change himself and learn how to fight crime basically. So he goes off in the world and like leaves Gotham and like basically disappears forever. And he, I can't remember how he, I think Ra's al Ghul finds him because he knows that like this is Bruce Wayne, like the billionaire of mm-hmm. Wayne Enterprises and stuff. Like why is he in this like, Asian country somewhere in like a jail cell. And so uh like Bruce Wayne, you know, I think kind of offers like this is why I'm doing what I'm doing right now and so Razal Ghoul is like we will train you to do your stuff basically. And so that's how Batman is formed, like right. Bruce Wayne gets all the training to become Batman from um oh, I can't remember the name of the order that Razal Ghoul is like the the leader of. Um, okay. That's who Liam Neeson plays plays him in that in that film. But but so what like, is the avatar for, or what is what is represented in that villain? So Neeson basically sees the world as like like modern society. Or Neeson, it, Ra's al Ghul sees the world as like this incredibly corrupted thing. Like society, you know, is you know p- people go people going hungry, and as we've established, and all the stuff that's you know that that's wrong with the world, and he. His idea is basically to just, you know, use the the Thanos way of correcting it by just destroying everything and starting from scratch and rebuilding, you know, a just society from there. 
Okay. So, like, there are... The, the, the Thanos way of, of doing this, you know, obviously has its flaws, but right. there are elements of radical sort of, like, you know, proletariat overthrow of, like, authority structures in mm-hmm. the order in which Rina Razagul is sort of operating. And so we have is... cleansing, cleansing destruction, a chaotic anarchism, and then Bane, Bane is Bane the terror. Comes from Bane, yes, but the, Bane and Razagul are, are, I think, Batman Begins and The Dark Knight Rises, the motivations and sort of like the schemes going on between Ra's al Ghul and Bane are very similar because Bane is carrying out the plans of Ra's al Ghul's daughter in The Dark Knight mm, Rises, basically. Okay. So, you know, she's she's kind of the shadowy puppet figure in that film and Bane's doing all this stuff, basically, as, as the, the, the public figurehead for this movement. Um, so... Like, so what I'm trying to... The, the reason I'm sort of going down this line of questioning to sort of answer it is just to yeah. try to figure out whether or not there's anything like um exclusive whether or not we're seeing a depiction of like socialism or just kind of a depiction of anything like that that might rise to the level of a critique of the order of things right i don't Um, think it's yeah i mean like because i think that i i think that that's how any system defends itself Right. Mm -hmm. I think that any system, capitalism or otherwise, is is going to try to retrench itself by saying that that everything, everything that's an alternative is is just destruction and chaos and terror. Right. And and that's whether that's whether you're trying to take down anarchism or, you know, essentially anything that isn't a a nakedly right wing ideology of order. Yeah, that that's that's how how the defense is going to look. So I think the better way to maybe put this then is that, you know, these, these villains can be seen as allegories for enemies of capitalism, basically is probably the better way to put it. Right. But I think that that's mostly coincidental to that being our historical moment, right? That this is how, this is how systems of power portray their opponents is, Mm -hmm. is, is in this way as, as, as just like, you know, as unhinged agents of chaos. Yeah. So, I mean, I think The Dark Knight does an excellent job of getting people to absolutely equate anarchism with chaos. Um, You know, I spent a little bit of time before writing this reading on anarchism by Noam Chomsky and just to kind of Mm -hmm. just sort of reacquaint myself with, you know, the... uh, the writings of other individuals that Chomsky is, is focusing on in that. And it's pretty staggering getting that detailed of a view of that ideology. And then you go on the street right. and ask any American what anarchism is, and they will tell you it's, you know, it just means chaos. And 100%, 100% that is something that would happen. So, um, and this is just, this film, whether intentionally or unintentionally, you know, for how big it was, easily contributed to mm-hmm. further confusion for what that term means. Right. right. And I think, I think that that's precisely what our argument here is that, is that the Joker is, is a ideological caricature of, of, of anarchism, 
um, specifically, but also just uh, any attempt to provide an alternative to capitalism broadly. It goes back to what we were saying earlier with how much how much obsession we have with vigilantes that we love them so much that we would give them mass domestic surveillance powers. You know? <laughs> I, that's the thing is that it's it's that I don't think that this is straight up like um, you know hand the state this type of surveillance power. Like there is there's a critique of mass surveillance in mm. in this movie, but it is. It is the most it's like so conciliatory. Yes, it's but it's the most conciliatory critique of mass surveillance. Oh yeah, <laughs> like yeah, because it's literally like okay, um, and we'll go ahead and and do explanatory comma for this. So, um, so Batman's division right has managed to uh, activate like a the microphones and everybody's and everybody's mobile devices to create a sonar image of everything that's surrounding it within sort of, you know, a limited, a limited space or whatever. And so, so the, the effect of this technology is to, is to basically create a 3d rendering of Gotham that is accessible and manipulatable from this computer that's housed it at Wayne enterprises. Right. And I, I just love how much like other noise is going on in this movie that we just sort of brush over how like fucking terrifying that notion like actually is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 No, it's, um, it, it's, and it's, and it's not, and, it, and the thing is, is it's, it's, it's not veiled at all what, what we're being shown oh, no. because, yeah. because even in 2008, and I think that, that people kind of forget this because, because it all got whistleblown and became much more clear and apparent. Yeah. But like the, the whistleblowing, like yeah. the, the collection of that information was going on by Edward Snowden, like probably, you know, during the, you know, the making mm-hmm. of that movie. So but people understood that the, that telephone companies had forked over a bunch of stuff to the NSA. Right. Like that wasn't a secret. The, the extent of it, the detail of it, all of this sort of stuff was was well understood while yeah. this movie's being made, you know, between 2006 and 2008. Right. Yeah. And and so so we're we're meditating very directly here on on a current event issue in this, in, you know, in this movie. And. Even more relevant today, for one. Thing. Right. That, that, yeah. So it's only media. grown more relevant. Yeah. And. What we're shown, right, is is that even in this world, this sort of high Ayn Randian world of morality, um, that that this is too far, right? But in the way that nothing in this movie can ever, you know, actually rise to the level of critique, what we're shown is that it is unambiguously necessary to taking down the enemies of of. Um, you know, of, of the state, basically mm-hmm. a, a chaos broadly, right? But that the that that the the fountainhead will um, lay down those powers. I mean, think right? about how many times the American military has done this in, in history. We mm-hmm. we just had to use the nuclear bomb. Sure, you know, we just sure. had to vaporize a bunch of Japanese. Right. And know, we are we are the them. responsible we are the responsible stewards of that power and technology, right? That only only the you know Ayn Randian protagonist you know can can both wield that power and put it down, 
right? Yeah. And and I think that 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 there is, that this is the sort of fiction of fascism on the right, um, you know, that that isn't true. I, I I think on the left there there is an understanding of like what happens when you let dictatorship into your ideology, right? That you don't you don't go back. Right. But but liberals um, and certainly the right kind of have this view that like we can like fork over these these powers and then um, uh, 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 Morgan Freeman will blow them up when he's done using them. Right. And that that that's what we're shown in this movie is that it's like, you know, Lucius, when he discovers the machine at Wayne Enterprises is like, you know, I I fucking quit. And, 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 and Bruce Wayne's like, all right, fine, but make this your last job and then type your name in and the machine will blow up and it'll all go away because, you know, that's how technology works, right? It's (laughs) that you, you you know, you, once you, the knowledge exists to build something and you build it, if you blow that thing up, you can never build it again. That's just gone. You just, that's, that's how, that's how technology works. (laughs) But I mean, it's really lucky nobody uh, blew up the first car. Or, or anything, because otherwise right. we wouldn't have yeah, right. or the first airplane. <laughs> what would have happened if the Wright brothers would have crashed that? And then nobody yeah. was ever able to invent an airplane ever again. Right. Anyway, um, but that's yeah. So I think that, that we're we're shown here a movie that is just absolutely replete with um, like this was this was something that could be the best movie for anyone. Right. Mm-hmm. If you were somebody who was critical of of the war on terror and the American state and and even capitalism, I think in 2008, you could have watched this movie and been like, yeah, that's how the world is. Just as well as you could have sat on the right side of the aisle and said, yeah, that's what the world is. And and that's the genius of Nolan's film is that is that he he. You know, none of the critiques go all the way and everybody yeah. who showed up could could take something personal away from, from what they saw there. Yeah. Yeah. It's the, the more that we, I don't know, like addressing the component of mass domestic surveillance at the end of the film, there has to be at least some sort of like equation between or equating between like the American military using all means necessary to, you know, eradicate the enemy in the name of imperialism, you know, compared to what happened in the film there. So mm-hmm. that's yeah. Right. And that, but that, but that, but that great men can save us. Right. And, and that, that, that to me is the sort of, is the uh, right wing and Hegelian part of this, right. Is that as fucked up as it is, there will be uh, a room of men. And I mean, it is right. conspicuously a room of men, even in 2008 in this, in this movie, that that have the will to to save us right mm-hmm. and and that's uh and i think i think that yeah when you when you when you watch this you really can spot uh christopher nolan's politics yeah 100 percent. it's just funny because like i especially over the past two years i mean i think if i were to have watched this film in college i, I wouldn't have picked it up but it's you know now it's still one of my favorite films, you know, hundred percent. And I think it always will be, but that I, it, it can still be my, one of my favorite films and I can still like look at it through a much more critical lens as I get older and, and still, and still have it be something that I enjoy to watch. I, I like it more now that I realize that it's such a kind of, 
complex and repulsive uh, window into that moment. And even yeah. even still, to, and, and I think it's still deeply relevant, you know, yeah. uh, 15 years later or whatever, but, but yeah. that, that, that I actually appreciate this movie a lot more now mm-hmm. that I can kind of um, appreciate the ideology that is, that's woven into it in a way that, that, yeah, that, that I didn't, and that certainly very few did in, in mm-hmm. 2008. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I would have liked to have believed the Joker Ledger's Joker is, you know, is some kind of ideological anarchist, but he's not. And that's just, that's it. it, it, His character is just the, the embodiment of chaos that, that um, has these themes sort of playing a little bit throughout the film. But, you know, like you said, it never, ever reaches that full critique. It just doesn't. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So. Well, and, yeah, and because because for Hollywood to actually that, so. right to actually yeah. portray a sympathetic Joker, right, mm-hmm. which we know has 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 we've done that movie now, yeah. um, but in two thousand eight, you know, with the images of the towers still fresh in our mind, that was not that wasn't yeah. like doable. In fact, one of the things that I, I noticed and part of it was just being in the mindset that mm-hmm. we've been in on this show for for the last little bit was um was that the opening the opening shot of this movie is is the camera approaching at speed to the side of a glass box skyscraper and right as it's about to get to the point of impact on the pane um something shoots out of the building. Yeah. Right? through the glass and it's just this um ooh, right it's it's just there's sort of this this thing that the mind does where you know if you're if you're kind of in that space which so many were in 2008 like it it was really in the psychic energy of it that yeah um that which you realize what you're seeing is still downstream of that Right. But that it's saying, but that it's trying to rattle people a lot more than anything would have been. Like this movie in 2003, right, is not as gritty or complex as, mm-hmm. as it is in 2008. And you certainly don't yeah. start it out with the camera going at speed towards a glass box skyscraper and the window being broken. <laughs> um, um, imagine, imagine the fucking Joker movie from 2019 being released yeah. in 2003. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, and imagine I think that, that I, yeah. which and I think is that that's the truth. more dark and yeah. disturbing. Than, but that, than this. And that's what I'm saying is you, you couldn't, you could not have portrayed the chaos yeah. that way in 2008 mm. right it was too I don't, close i don't even think i don't even right exactly i don't even think yeah it, that our most recent joker film you know could could, could have even have been around in, in you know at, at the time of the dark night so yeah and i i just want to say too that like the that film by todd phillips um i just said a little bit ago like i, I don't think hollywood would have would have gone there like that assertion is incorrect in the case of Todd Phillips's Joker with Joaquin Phoenix. In the case of The Dark Knight, the ambiguity and mystery of Ledger's Joker and his origins is the point. Like Nolan, that's the whole yeah. point is that Nolan intentionally does not tell you his origin story. Right. That is because that would make entirely, him sympathetic. Right. That is in, exactly, exactly. And that is entirely, you know, left to the, you know, the imagination of the viewer. And so in fact, he um, has the Joker make up origin yeah. stories right. so the audience sees just how completely unreliable anything that this character could ever even tell you about their past would be yeah um which like is 
a testament to like Nolan's writing, basically. You know, and that's you know, we 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 offered our criticism of him, you know, in this episode, but like this is something that he does very well. But it and, is still and, meant and to fully, delegitimize. Fully but it but it does still delegitimize any because like we're because because you know the first time you hear that story where Joker's like you know talks about his dad you know slicing his face open or whatever that's horrifying it, it builds sympathy but then you see him in a, in a later scene tell a completely different you know yeah. self-serving version of that story and so yeah. and so i think that it it it's 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 good right like it, it it's it's thrill it's re- it's thrilling to sort of see it happen right but but it does actively undermine any defense that might or or sympathy that one might raised for for the joker even with mm-hmm. even within providing the most sympathetic moments for the joker yeah we're yeah. we're we're undercutting his mm-hmm. his legitimacy and and status as a sympathetic character yeah it's interesting i think like i could be totally wrong on, in saying this but sort of how i viewed phoenix's joker in the 2019 film is that like his origin story could potentially be viewed as an origin story for like Ledger's Joker because there are those themes like there 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 is continuity between those themes between the Dark Knight yeah. and what is probably explored more way more in depth in in Joker basically and sure. so um yeah I mean yeah like if we were to ever get a full movie with Phoenix's Joker yeah it's going to be much different most likely but I think that the i think a full film with phoenix as joker like that joker offering his criticisms of the system is go- is probably going to be a lot more hard hitting than what you would sure. see you know with with ledger's joker so sure and and i'm glad we were able to kind of highlight the, the because i th- cuz like this movie did seem like the realest like grittiest depiction of of the world Right yeah. when it came out, like it, it was, it was hard hard to imagine that you could have like you know mm-hmm. taken it like yeah. to to something else. And now you kind of watch it and you do realize how sort of manicured the the stakes are and the um and and, and all the rest of it. And, and I don't think yeah. it's because filmmaking has gotten grittier, but almost because we've like like th- there's there's one scene in this where it's like almost comedy or something where it's like like. Wayne is like coming in to have like a conversation with Gordon or something. And it's literally just like Gary Oldman's head, just like floating in a dark room, like for no apparent reason. Yeah. Like there's not really a clear reason why it's so dark in this room. It just Mm -hmm. is. And that's, that's the whole movie. That's the whole movie. And, and I think, you know, in 2008, like that's really all you had to do to really convince people that like serious gritty shit was going on, which was just Mm -hmm. turn the lights off. Yeah. So like, just from the, like, from a superficial level, like my favorite and, and still like it was when I was a kid and still to this day, like my favorite like sequence of events in this film is the Joker intentionally getting fucking captured and like letting Batman beat the shit out of him to ultimately reveal like this, like insane ultimatum of pick dent or your lover. And right. you know, that, right. that is just, yeah, that's the best part of the film for me is when he is when he basically gives that to him. And like Batman with all of his strength and all of that is, you know, you, you, you think he's in control because he's beating the shit out of the Joker, but the Joker is, you know, in full control the entire time. 
what well, do we know. make as as viewers in 2021 what do we make of the boat scene I think, oh God, I don't know. Can I, I hold on a second? As a Chicagoan, the idea of needing boats and tunnels to get out of the city is like, <laughs> I, I couldn't suspend my disbelief that far. <laughs> I was like, I was like, what are they doing? This doesn't make any sense. Why are they just on the Eisenhower? I don't. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, but but what do we make of that? Why in this movie we're shown, and I, I mean, maybe it is just like. Like the the only vestige of defense that Nolan can manage for normal people, right? That like that it's like, but I think it's the most unrealistic portrayal of human nature, like in the whole thing. Oh, I think people would have one hundred percent have blown each other up easily. Yeah. People are fucking crazy. Yeah, there's no way. I mean, I mean, like it's like especially it's, now nowadays. I mean, for me, it's just a question. It, the only the only question is like the academic question of of um, who would have turned the key first. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, I mean, I suspect that the answer is that the the civilians would have turned the key first because they would have been more likely to have had a say over mm-hmm. what happened to it. Whereas, I suspect the people in charge of the detonator on the prison ship probably would have like, I don't know, done something. Uh, to, to keep that control away from the the prison population, but but we're shown this um, this we show, we're shown the prison like that the the person who breaks right the person who 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 splits the Gordian knot who breaks the prisoner's dilemma is 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 one of the prisoners right yeah um, who throws the detonator out out the window mm-hmm. um, and that's and like I don't know it's like I almost think that. Like it almost seems like something that was put in in post or something, or it was like like um, the 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 studio saw it and was like, "Hey, we got to have some some redeeming aspect of human nature in this movie." Like, <laughs> like because because yeah. honestly, it doesn't it doesn't serve like a plot function. You know what I'm saying? Like you could cut that from the from the movie, and it wouldn't. I mean, I guess it exists to explain why nobody can go save both Rachel and Harvey Dent. I think it's right? like, like icing, why it has to be the Batman that, to, like, to go there. was just like icing on top for like the Joker because it, it, we, like the Joker won the film in that he broke Harvey Dent because that, that was the sole purpose yeah. basically of what he was trying to do was get Batman to break his rule, break Harvey Dent. And he, he accomplished that. He did 100%. Right. And him getting a, a boat to you know, kill another boat would have, it's just icing, you know, right. for him basically. So, but it almost, yeah. And I mean, maybe, and maybe it was in the original, whatever, but, it, but like, if it had been suggested by the studio, point like, bringing up, yeah. and I think the fact <laughs> that it doesn't like, it doesn't necessarily have to be in there. Like you could come up with other circumstances, right. Yeah. For, yeah. for the things that are mechanically happening in the plot at that point. And it's, yeah. it does kind of seem to be in there as like a, Oddly enough, as like a bit of like sunlight <laughs> for for human nature in in this this Ayn Randian film here. This is an independently produced podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at COINTELPROPOD and support more of our work on our Patreon page. The link is in the show notes and in our Twitter bio. We'll see you next week on COINTELPRO.